There's nothing wrong with defending your values strenuously. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that. It's when the truth appears not to be on your side, then you have to change your position. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back, my friends, to the Lions of Liberty podcast. This is episode number 141. As usual, you can find all the show notes for this show over at our website at lionsofliberty.com slash 141. We are sponsored today by our good friends at libertymaniacs.com. These guys have so much kick-ass liberty-minded gear and accessories. You'd be crazy not to check it out, especially considering that for listeners of the show, you can receive a 10% discount off your order by using the discount code Lions of Liberty. I'd also like to encourage you to learn more about an exciting alternative to the standard corporatist Obamacare insurance that is being forced upon all of us, but not all of us, because some of us have found that alternative known as health sharing. You can find out more by going over to lionsofliberty.com forward slash health. My guest today is a political journalist and documentary filmmaker. He is best known for his Socratic interview method, which he has subjected many a politician to, including several current presidential candidates. He is making his second appearance on the show. I first spoke with him back in episode 38. He is the Socratic interviewer himself, Mr. Jan Helfeld. Welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thank you, Mark, uh, calling me the Socratic Assassin now. The Socratic Assassin. I should be more specific. <laughs> that was uh, the Weekly Standard said that. I, I didn't say it. Well, we're well with that. It, it flows off the tongue quite nicely. So we'll go with Socratic Assassin. Oh, dear. You know, Jan, as we've talked about before in our first interview, and I've, I've watched a lot of your interviews with these past politicians, and I, I love how you're able to try to glean some of their principles or at least find out if they have any from these interviews. And you've interviewed a, a good number of the guys that are running, uh, both on the Democrat and Republican side, or potential Democrat in the case of one guy who I, I do believe will end up running. But uh, we're going to start with the guy who I have seen everybody – on Twitter and Facebook getting really excited about. Uh, everybody out there seems to be telling me that I need to do something called Feel the Burn. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that means yet, but I do know that they are referring to a gentleman by the name of Mr. Bernie Sanders. So why don't you just start off, first of all, when did you interview Bernie Sanders? It was quite quite some time ago, right? Yeah, that was a, a long time ago when I had the, uh, the show, the, the Bottom Line. That was way back in the day. So, uh, But he still seems like pretty much the same guy from what I can tell. So what kind of insight were you able to get from Bernie about his personal beliefs? I know you first asked him about the initiation of force on other individuals. So what did he have to say to that idea, first of all, just the idea of initiating force on another individual? Was he? Did he have any objection to that? Well, he finally agreed that the individual citizens don't have the right to initiate physical force against other citizens who haven't violated anybody's rights. But the first question was, is all legitimate governmental power derived from the people? Then when he said that the individuals don't have that right, I asked him, could they have properly delegated that right to the government? He said they they could. And then I asked him, can you properly delegate a right you do not have? And then he, he quit the interview. But the point here really is that when somebody has a mistaken position in their political view, in their political theory in this case, like Bernie Sanders, and by the way, he certainly felt the burn of that interview. (laughs) If you listen to the end of the interview, 
you'll notice that. <laughs> so when somebody has a mistaken view, what often happens is one of two things. They can contradict themselves or they can say something that is so outrageous and absurd that it exposes them to ridicule. And in Bernie Sanders' case, that's what happened. He said that you could properly delegate a right you do not have. Obviously, you cannot give what you don't have, so you can't delegate something you don't have. You have to have it to delegate it. The whole legal system is based on the contrary premise. Somebody else can't lease my home to you because they don't have a right to use my home. Only I, who have that right, can delegate the right to you to use my home. It's like you can't give somebody a cake if you don't have it. Of course, you can do it improperly by stealing the cake, but that's a different issue. You can't properly do it. So that's what happened. And I thought it also was a very revealing of his character. First, he finished the interview by saying how much he enjoyed the interview and everything. And then when he thought the camera was off, he, he went bananas and started uh, screaming at me <laughs> and his staff. <laughs> so anyway, you get an insight into Bernie Sanders' character. I think that's also uh, a value for that interview. Sure. He seemed kind of uh, one guy on camera. And then as soon as he thought that the cameras were all off, he, he seemed to take an t- entirely different demeanor with you, which you know, I think uh, I think a lot of times we see one face of politicians in the media and in, in appearances, and, and, and they might have a totally different face on the other side. I don't know. I mean, he might have just had a bad day. It doesn't mean he's necessarily a terrible person, but it's, it's an interesting insight, if nothing else. And uh, I'm just wondering if there's anything positive you do see from the, the current Bernie Sanders campaign. Do you think he's, he's at least uh, speaking to a certain portion of the electorate that feels sort of dejected, or do you think there's there's any legitimacy to some of the issues he's speaking on? Well, he's a classical liberal demagogue where he's promising the wealth of others to people and he's going to do wholesale redistribution of wealth. And if he gets his hands on power, uh, he will violate all the property rights of all the people that he doesn't like and that he thinks... uh, have more than they deserve. I mean, it's like, you know, socialism. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a no, that there's not much positive you see in Bernie Sanders' campaign right now. <laughs> My God. I, <laughs> there's all these leftover socialists that are lining up at his rallies. I don't know. Now, moving on to another guy that you interviewed pretty recently. Um, this is a guy who seems to see his poll numbers rising a bit recently. Uh, Donald Trump is still in the lead, but we've recently seen some talk of the rise of a guy named Ben Carson, a guy who's kind of a mystery to a lot of people. I mean, he's obviously a very intelligent man. He's a world-renowned neurosurgeon, so he can't be a dummy. Um, and, and yet, at the same time, despite seeing several interviews with him, despite seeing him in the debate, I have a hard time really even explaining you know, any of his actual positions on something. So, But you did actually ask him some specific questions. So why don't you just tell us, it was only a three or four minute interview, I think you, you had time to get with him, but what what did you ask Ben Carson about? You, you brought up the subject of race. What, what were you talking about in that, in that little discussion? Well, I wanted to discuss the issue of racism. First, what it is. Once I led him to a proper definition of racism, and that's where, one of the things that's worthwhile in the interview. You see how I construct a principle. I construct a principle by asking him simple questions that identify the basic facts that are being integrated by the principle. Once I've got him to accept a proper principle, then 
I ask him to apply that principle to current public policy. In this case, affirmative action, which he came out against. He was against affirmative action. And specific instances of racism where the Congressional Black Caucus doesn't let white congressmen become voting members. So in my experience, uh, all these black folks, and I don't even like to use their their race because I, I like to you know talk about citizens just as citizens. Who cares what their race is? But all these people, it uh, seems to me that uh, the racism that they're complaining about is more prevalent in the group that they identify with. That's uh, something that they're totally clueless about. <laughs> but he passed the test in this sense. He had a chance to to buck the logic and reasoning that I led him through, and he didn't. He was a little bit reluctant. I brought him around, but finally he came down on the obvious side of what the truth is. So I, I give him credit for that. He, he could have easily said, well, yes, I, I agree that racism is wrong. I agree with your definition. But, well, when it comes to affirmative action, and, and he could have danced around it, but he didn't. He, he did stick to the principle that was established. So that, that's at least good to see that he didn't try to, try to squirm out of it, even if it did take a little nudging on your part. Yeah, I've uh, interviewed a lot of uh, black congressmen on this issue, like uh, Clyborne and John Lewis. and It's actually really uh, disappointing to see how they contradict themselves, and uh, it's pitiful. Okay, next. <laughs> and I've seen you speak pretty favorably about Ben Carson, so why don't you just give me just your general thoughts on Ben Carson? Well, I give him uh, credit for, they wouldn't let me interview him very much, and I don't know if you noticed. Oh yeah, he was, he was telling you it was over. <laughs> they shooed me off, and uh, uh, I just wanted to shake the guy's hand, you know, they wouldn't even yeah, let me do they're, that. They are trying to get you out of there pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the guy, the handler saw him, maybe... There's something going on here. I better get this guy out of here. Maybe Ben gave him a wink, like, hey, this is guy's asking me real questions. We might want to... Uh... No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. At first, he wasn't paying any attention because they're so arrogant. But then one day, hmm, something's happening here. <laughs> anyway, I give him credit. You know, the most important thing you can know about a person, forget whether he's a candidate or not, is whether he's committed to reasoning and whether he's capable of reasoning and whether he's committed to reason and whether he's committed to identifying the truth by reasoning. So, you know, I give him credit for that. Now, I can't vouch on all the other parts of his policy. There's some things that I like. He said that he's in favor of a 10% flat rate. That's much better than anything else that was being proposed. Oh, he's at 10, huh? That's even beats Rand Paul's plan where he has everyone at 14.5. Right. And, of course, Rand Paul is the only guy that's been in power that's actually proposed a reduction in spending. I mean, so he gets tremendous credit for that, in my view. So, but Ben Carson, I think he's very, he's kind of weak in the foreign policy. He'll check with his military advisors, and he thinks it's like checking with uh, medical experts. You, it's about identifying the right principles. The generals are there to implement the principles, not to tell you what to do. Right, and you spoke there about reasoning and um, you know about 
assessing a, a candidate's ability or a politician's ability to actually use reason or at least attempt to to arrive at their positions. And one guy, now, this is someone who has not entered the race. And I really have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of the talk we're seeing and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff that's coming out about Hillary Clinton, I am going to use my insight and declare that I believe that Joe Biden will enter the race at some point. You did a really interesting interview with Joe Biden. Also, this one goes way back as well, but he's someone that actually really surprised me watching your conversation with him. He actually really seemed to agree with that concept of using reason to arrive at our positions and that sort of thing. So what, what insight can you give us briefly about Joe Biden and, and your experience with him? I know you had mentioned in our in our first interview back in uh, episode 38 of the show, you mentioned that that was one of the more positive experiences in terms of Joe Biden himself was very gracious for the interview and actually contacted you and, and told you he was really... You know, really grateful and really enjoyed the interview. So what did you get from speaking with Joe Biden? Well, you know, that was a long time ago when I had a show in Puerto Rico. So that was before I had the bottom line in Washington. And he uh, was a person that was really interested in the topics that we were discussing, fundamentals on ethics and justice. And he had agreed to do two one-hour interviews. Wow. And he had an appointment at, after the second hour interview, and I got him interested in another topic on justice, and he he, he bumped the other interview and did the, did the next one. And I'm afraid that what happens to a lot of politicians is that as the years go by, uh, the system has a tendency to corrupt them. They kind of lose their interest and they become more, let's call it political and less focused on political theory and ethics and principles. I don't know if he's the same man anymore, you know, I'm sad to say. But uh, he was very gracious and he was genuinely interested at the time. And when he made a mistake, he admitted it. And he did write me a nice letter uh, saying that he had uh, not only enjoyed the interviews, but had learned a lot or a great deal, I think, is what he said. So that, that's what I could say about him, you know, and that was so long ago that I don't know if it's applicable. Yeah, well, it was a very interesting moment in that interview when, you know, he was saying some things aren't rational, and he was naming, you know, certain emotions, and one of them being fear. And you said, well, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes fear can be rational. For example, uh, you know, if a tiger walks into the room right now and we feel the emotion of fear, well, it's very rational for us to be afraid. And, and he didn't even hesitate to say, you know what, you're absolutely right. I was wrong. And that's just a refreshing thing to see from, from a politician at all to not even hesitate in admitting that they have been corrected, uh, you know, admitting to the error of their ways and moving on instead of just dancing around the subject. So, I mean, I mean, that might not be the Joe Biden that we see if he enters a presidential race in 2015, but uh, it's good to know that there is at least maybe a reasonable person buried somewhere in there. Absolutely. I think that that reflects very well on the person when they, they see that they made a mistake or they haven't thought clearly about something and they admit it. So that's a given point for integrity of character. You know, that happened with uh, Mike Wallace when I interviewed him, Chris Wallace's father. And uh, it also happened with Floyd Flake, who was a very good uh, black congressman from New York. Too bad he left. And so he, when you know these guys that are committed to reasoning, uh, you know they're willing to accept their mistake when uh, it doesn't make any sense, and you have to give them credit for it. 
Yeah, and admitting our mistakes is something that I think everybody could do more of, not just politicians, but uh, you know, a lot of my fellow libertarians and probably people of any political persuasion. I think that's a, the biggest problem a lot of us have in this in these dialogues. That you, you, you come to a conclusion of some kind, and then when that conclusion's challenged, even if the challenge makes sense, there's a, a a lot of people just reject that because they feel they've committed to a position so strongly that they don't even want to reason their way out of it, even even if reason does lead them to a different different place. Well, let me put a, a finer, uh, sophisticated point, if I may, on this issue. There's nothing wrong with defending your values strenuously. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that. It's when the truth the, appears not to be on your side, then you have to change your position. So... That's a fine line that you have to see where one thing stops and the other starts. Absolutely. Now, we can't really do a show assessing the 2016 presidential candidates without talking about Donald Trump. Now, this is someone you have not interviewed. Uh, to my knowledge, I would love to see you interview him, and I hope that can somehow happen because I, I would just that would just be a popcorn time for me. Yeah, well, uh, let me just say I was close to, to him uh, a couple of days ago at that Iran rally. You almost had it, huh? Yeah, well, he was swamped with so many reporters. And, uh, well, yeah, I saw Nick Gillespie of Reason got in there for for a second with him, but even that didn't didn't last. Well, uh, good for him. I mean, no wonder I couldn't get in. Uh, everybody was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People are crawling all over each other to get to this guy. Yeah, it was a gaggle of reporters there. I don't know, at least three or four reporters deep. When I saw it, I said, "Oh, forget it. I can't get through." <laughs> But you have spent your fair share of time um, producing some videos, um, analyzing Donald Trump and his positions. So why don't you just very briefly touch on, I know you see some positive in Donald Trump. I do as well, um, and also some negatives as well. So why don't, you just, why don't we just say something good about him real for a second. So what are the positives that you see of, of just having Donald Trump in this race overall, regardless of his, you know, the specifics of his positions? Well, I'll say the positives about his character run and his candidacy is he's he speaks his mind, he's sincere, that's good, and he's uh, a businessman, and that means he's created value, and he's, uh, I don't think, uh, I'm not sure exactly, I don't know the facts, whether it's crony capitalism or not, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, I know there's a little bit of it, because he's definitely used eminent domain, and he, he all but admitted being a crony capitalist uh, in the past, in the last debate, but, you know, in this economy, it's almost impossible for a business to not have some elements of cronyism in it, so, you know, it's all about... How much of a crony is he? And, and that seems to be, a, well, it's up in the air. I guess we'll see. So his his sincerity and his uh, willingness to talk off the cuff and do a lot of interviews. He's fearless, so that's great. You know, he, he goes into antagonistic venues and takes his chances and, uh, you know, exchanges uh, blows or compliments, as it may be. <laughs> Uh, so I'll give him credit for all those things and uh, also for pointing out some obvious facts in our foreign policy, uh, how we've uh, negotiated very bad deals. And uh, I would add, uh, and he gave some good examples, you know, like, you know, why are we defending Japan and why, why have all those people in Korea there as ransom there? And it's really worse than what he said, because these are all deals that we negotiated from strength. Can you imagine what would happen if our negotiators had to go in to negotiate from weakness? I mean, my goodness. <laughs> this, is, this would really be pitiful. So those are some things, some good things you can say about Donald Trump. But, you know, 
he's done something that's very bad, which is uh, make all these these races uh, and differences between candidates personal and insulting people and. He does seem to go out of his way to try to call out everyone on, on some issue unrelated to actual policy. Well, yeah, I mean, all that's leading to is degenerating into the worst kind of low-level argument where the merits and substance of the policies are disregarded, and it's all about ad animums. And this is what, uh, what this leads to, and that's why uh, Ronald Reagan was wise when he said, you know, uh, his 11th commandment, uh, it's, a, it's a good practical rule to keep the personal stuff off limits. And in any sane debate, you're not allowed to insult anybody. It's illegal. It's against the rules. Ad animums don't add anything to the merits of your argument. So if Carly Fiorina has a, a ugly face, what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. Did he say that? Yeah, that was his most recent one. I mean, he said that who would want to elect a president with a face like that? Who'd want to elect a president with hair like his? I mean, it's, it's all just well, as relevant. <laughs> yeah, you know, when somebody is bragging so much and uh, saying, uh, I'm smarter than you, these are all stupid, I'm richer than you, that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the merits of the argument. So I like to focus on the merits of the arguments, and so that's what I analyzed. I analyze his trade policy, I analyze his immigration policy. And on the fundamental aspect of Trump, he's not reasoning from principle. And that's, in my view, in all likelihood, is because he doesn't have a clear idea of what his political or economic principles are. And being a successful businessman has nothing to do with understanding economics. It's microeconomics is a successful business two different fields, and they don't necessarily transfer from one to the other. So his whole view about uh, China killing us by devaluing their currency and how that's such a great policy and uh, they're so cunning, well, it turns out that he thinks at the same time that China is benefiting themselves by devaluing their currency, and they're harming themselves by devaluing their currency. So now you have the guy contradicting himself. Well, that's not nothing surprising about that because he's not clear about his economic principles. You know, import substitution, the old mercantilist theory, has been disproven time and time again. It doesn't make any sense, and, and he seems to have bought into it, but then later he contradicts himself. Yeah, I think he hit on the key term there. He very much comes across as a mercantilist, someone to looking to use the force of government to protect perceived business interests all around the globe, whether that's through trade policy, through protectionist immigration policies, or perhaps through militarism at some point, although he seems to be better on, on military expansion than some others. But again, once he's in office, who knows, who knows what direction that stuff can go. Uh, we don't have time to break down all your analysis of him right now, but I will definitely link to all your Trump interviews in the show notes for the show. You guys will be able to find that at lionsofliberty.com slash 141. Uh, now, Jan, somebody else, obviously, uh, for libertarians, someone that's receiving a lot of focus is a gentleman by the name of Rand Paul. Now, you told me before the show something that I had no idea of because there's no video of it on your YouTube channel, but you actually did have a significant interview with Rand Paul some time ago. So why don't you tell us about this interview and, and why haven't we seen it yet? Well, I, I, it was an extensive interview, 15 minutes. And I interviewed him about all sorts of things, 
uh, you know, all this uh, public policy views. The reason you haven't seen it on YouTube is because I don't own the rights to the interview. This was part of a, a project that uh, Vince Vaughn uh, started where he wanted to do a documentary about me and my interviews. The actor Vince Vaughn, correct? That's correct. And so we started on that project, and uh, I did a lot of work on it. And uh, at the end, uh, the contracts that they submitted to me, I, I could not sign. They wanted to own my own my work, or they wanted to own all my time, or what I could do, what I couldn't do. Basically, I was presented with a contract where I handed over my professional career decisions to them in exchange for no money. Well, that doesn't sound like a great deal. <laughs> Just on spec. Like, you know, maybe the movie would go through and it would be helpful to my career. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, it was a real shame because there was a group of people that were working and we started working hard on it even before uh, all the contracts were signed. You know, this ass backwards. Have you attempted to get this footage from them, or they, do they refuse to release it to you at all, or is it it's just going to be locked in a vault? <laughs> they own the rights to the footage, and I also interviewed Ron Paul, also extensive uh, interview, and uh, I'd say the difference between Ron Paul and Rand Paul is that Ron Paul had all these issues, you know, synthesized and, you know, cracker barrel, ready to go, knock them out in a moment. And uh, his son, of course, was not as adept, uh, at least at that time. But, you know, they both came out well and uh, did great interviews, and uh, they would have been useful in the documentary to establish a contrast between the other politicians that we were uh, going to interview or that I had interviewed already. And there was other people there. We did some great interviews that of other people and it's a deadlock, really, because they have the rights to the interviews, and so I can't use them, and they can't use them either because I'm the interviewer, and they need my my uh, signature for it, or you know, they need my agreement, my consent. Good old-fashioned stare-down, huh? Well, I, actually, I'm not even opposed. If they, you know, I I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to see uh, food go to waste or things go to waste. All this effort that we made and, and money that we spent, too, just going to nothing. You just I don't want to sign, sign their contract, basically. No, no. I mean, that was the stumbling block at the time, you know? And, that you know, I couldn't sign it at the time. Instead of that, I, I decided, well, you know, I'll do my own interviews, and I did all kinds of interviews and all the debates and everything, and I took that path. That was, you know, that was uh, the previous election cycle. I guess that was 2012 and 2011. Is there anything that really stood out to you about Rand Paul that might, you know, give us some insight into how he might conduct himself as presidency, how he might conduct himself as a Republican candidate? What kind of stood out to you about him? Well, I actually, you know, I'm a bit uh, disappointed with some of the, his new stances, you know, on increasing military spending and uh, intervening. Uh, he's m- more ambiguous about when he would intervene and when he wouldn't. He's still probably the the least military interventionist candidate in the Republican field, but it's it's by a lesser degree than it was before. You know, that's a tendency that, that occurs in politics where people try to inch out the middle or 
inch out the other side to get as close to the side as you can, but still on the other side so you can get what's left over. What are you uh, expecting to see from the GOP candidates at, at this debate? Is there anything uh, you know specific you're looking out for? Do you have any predictions about the debate you might want to make? Well, my prediction is that this injecting of insults and uh, ad animums is having a deleterious effect on the debates. And you're going to see more of that. And you're going to see more personalism, less discussion of uh, the merits of their various policies. And that's, what's going to, that's what happens when you permit ad hominems. It, it uh, degenerates into a shouting match, into a making everything personal instead of focusing on the merits. That's why it's a fallacy, and that's why it's not allowed in legitimate, proper debates, because it changes the focus from the merits to the personalities involved, which are irrelevant to the merits of the case of each candidate. That's my prediction. You think the bar is not going to be raised? The, uh, the conversation is not going to get any better, you know, anytime soon, you don't think? Well, I, I think it's, you know, once you start down that road, you already see them uh, exchanging barbs and, uh, you know, insults, and I don't see that changing at all. I think uh, it's a pity, but that's what's going on. Also, you know, these debates, as I, I analyzed uh, the previous debate, you know, they're not really debates. They are joint press conferences, and the media people have a different agenda than the citizens or the candidates because what they want to do is make the debate exciting. So they like to provoke fights between the candidates and insults. That, that's what they think are the highlights of the debate. And so what we need as citizens is to have the issues discussed calmly and rationally so we can have a better chance of identifying what the truth is on this issue. I've got one more question, Jan, and um, it might be difficult at this point in time, but if you had to choose out of these mainstream candidates, now there's other parties, and I've already interviewed um, you know, one candidate, Steve Kerbell from the Libertarian Party. I, I plan to talk to more of these third-party candidates in, in the coming months, but if you had to choose one of the mainstream candidates, the Democrats or Republicans, running for president today, who would you pick? Well, my choice would be Rand Paul, uh, but a close second would be Carly Fiorina. I, I'm impressed with her. Uh, she has a lot of things going for her. She's a heroic individual. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that they don't really understand her professional career. Yeah, I know she had a, re a big battle with cancer at, at one point. That's right. That is just one example. But that's a lady that she has some fight in her and... Um, if she could think through her foreign policy, which is her main weakness, uh, she'd be fine. Seems to be the big weakness of a lot of these guys is foreign policy, including Rand, Rand to some extent. Well, that, that, that's right. I mean, but uh, he's uh, a bit better than the rest on that little topic. She actually had the strategic vision to uh, buy Compact, and that was a, 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 a great combination that produced tremendous wealth for that company, and uh, people don't give her credit, and then the guy who reaped all the benefits was heard, and uh, he really was just a good manager. So um, the person with the vision, the person that uh, knows what leadership is about, which he's explained uh, summarily as 
unlocking the potential of the of the people that you're working with or that you're dealing with, or in this case, it would be the citizens. She understands that, and uh, so I I'm impressed with her as a as a candidate as well. So those those are my first two. All right, well, Jano, it's a, it's a pleasure getting your insight on these guys. I really do hope you have the opportunity to get some interviews with some more of them. And Donald Trump is one that I, I'm pulling for myself. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just take a minute to plug everything you've got going on, your website, your YouTube channel, let everybody know where they can find you, and feel free to plug anything else you've got going on. Well, the, the best way to, to see my stuff is to go to YouTube slash Jan Helfeld. That's J-A-N-H-E-L. F as in Frank, E-L-D. I think uh, I've been doing some commentary besides the interviews, and if you're interested in various subjects, uh, like we discussed the commentary I did on Trump about his trade policy, and also I did commentary on his immigration policy. I think the thing that you can most benefit from watching my interviews is to uh, learn how to do Socratic interviewing as opposed to arguing. It's a higher level of uh, discussion has a better chance to help the truth prevail. So that's what I would recommend, and I think that's the greatest uh, value you can get from watching my interviews. And um, that's my objective, and that's how I like to deal with people in general, which is to provide value. And that's what I'm trying to do in my interviews or my commentary. And we will keep watching out for more of them. And be sure to follow Jan on his YouTube channel because there's always some interesting stuff up there. Jan Helfeld, thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it and wish you the best. Okay, thanks. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my interview there with the Socratic assassin himself, Mr. Jan Helfeld. And, you know, Jan gets a lot of flack. He does. I know. I'm on Popular Liberty all the time, seeing Jan get a lot of flack. He's he's called a minarchist. He's called a statist. Uh, but frankly, from my point of view, even though some people obviously don't see it the same way, Jan is one of the most principled guys I've seen out there. And I'll tell you why. Because he focuses on principles. He doesn't get caught up in a sort of bombastic rhetoric about things. He doesn't get caught up in the sort of left-right paradigm, in even in the typical, what I call the anarchist-minarchist paradigm. When he does his interviews and makes his statements, even if you disagree with his conclusions, he always does so through the attempts to get at the core principles of things. And that's really the most important thing we can do here. That's what I strive to do on this show. And I I certainly appreciate that there's someone else out there trying to do this, and especially doing it by directly interviewing and confronting all these politicians. Uh, Confronting almost sounds confrontational. There's a reason for that. It's the root of the word. But, you know, Jan really does his interviews in a very respectful way. He's been able to land interviews with so many politicians, as you've heard over the years here, from Joe Biden to Bernie Sanders to some of these current GOP candidates like Ben Carson. And my God, I had no idea until today that he did this hour and a half interview with Rand Paul that has not seen the light of day. I'm hoping to see that someday, somewhere out there. Hopefully Vince Vaughn is listening and can, can get his people to, to work things out on that end. But I highly encourage you guys to check out Jan Helfeld's videos. They really are great stuff. No matter what, you know, your bent of libertarianism or bent in politics in general, uh, I think he really is out there doing a great service. So kudos to Jan for that. Uh, and perhaps we'll have him back on a little bit later in the election cycle to discuss things because he is very Astute and adept at analyzing politics. I don't know if I'm astute and adept at analyzing politics, but I do my best. We're going to do that in a very non-astute way next week when we convene another session of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor with a very special guest. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, 
after you watch the GOP debate tonight, which I know you're all going to, or maybe not. Maybe you're just going to get the highlights. Maybe you're just going to listen to our show next week to talk about it. That's all well and good. If you could just take a few moments to do a few things for us, I would greatly appreciate it. You can go over to iTunes and subscribe to this show. Even if you listen to it through Stitcher, on YouTube, many ways to listen to the show, libertytalk.fm, 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturdays and Sundays, or throughout the week on the Liberty Radio Network at LRN.FM. But regardless of how you hear it, if you can subscribe on iTunes, that'll be a big help to us. Also, if you can leave us a rating, hopefully five stars, and a review, hopefully a good one, that would be also a huge help. Share the show if you're a friend. If you're a friend, of course you're a friend. If you're a friend and fan of the show, please share it with your friends and family. Share it on your social media. That's what it's there for. Come interact with us with us on social media. Myself, some of our past guests even, our, our regular contributors to the show, you can do that by coming over to the Lions of Liberty Forum. Just put that in your little search bar on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, I totally understand. There's plenty of good reasons not to be. But you can still have conversations with us. You can email me directly, Mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com. And until next week, folks... Live long and live free. Head of editing and mastery is John Dobbins.